You know, Brian, could you go a couple slides back to the rain down song there for a second? Yeah, there you go. Um, what a good way to do this. Thank you. Um, it's interesting, I, I, it kind of hit me on this song the first time I think I've ever understood this song. I think. I'm, maybe I'm reading into what the author wanted to do there, but you, you spend all this time singing about the holiness of God, and after you reflect on the holiness of God, you scream to God, rain down your love and your grace upon me. Do you see that? If you look at the holiness of God and all its magnitude and all that he is, and, and I don't know if you like the kind of music that just came at you, but it's an awesome song about God being an awesome God, and what is your response to that? Same as Isaiah, oh God, give me grace, because you need it. We're going to see that this morning. My wife is, is the family historian. Actually, my wife and Dharma, I saw Dharma's here somewhere today, um, they are oh, there, right there, dead center. <laughs> We're working on the church history, and they're putting together some uh, creative memory type things for hope and for our family. Carol does that for our family too. And there's something about looking through a scrapbook or a, a you know photo album that's somehow put together with some semblance of order that brings you back to those emotions and exactly what was happening there. And of course, it always is better when you're looking at the picture. It's kind of like a baby when they're sleeping. They're just, oh, let's wake them. They're just so... My wife said, over my dead body, will you wake that child? But there's just something about the picture that just gives you a portrait of something. And I, when I was thinking about the LDI experience, I was thinking back to our first LDI year. And how some of the pictures, as I go back and look through, there were seven people part of that uh, program, uh, many of which are still alive today. <laughs> Barely. But I, I remember the, 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 you know, if you had snapshots of that, you'd have a snapshot of uh, the time when we spent with each individual talking through whether or not they should do the program. And, and then we have a snapshot when we were leaving for our retreat, and we called it day one of LDI. And, and we all went on this great retreat. And on day two, I lived through the, probably the strongest storm I have ever lived through, coming off of a lake. And uh, it was finger of God kind of stuff. And, and uh, so I thought, I'm going to go out in the truck and listen to the weather because, the, of course, by this time the power had been out in the cabin we were staying in. And I'm out in the truck and everybody else is kind of worried for me. So Mike Gosler runs out to the truck and says, Trike, we think you should come in. It's not safe out here. I said, ah, it's safe. Just as I said the word safe, two huge trees <laughs> fell down right alongside me. I thought, I think I'll go in the house now. And I think about that first year, if I had another snapshot, and, and it would be just living, having Neil Feldhahn and Norm, uh, Normie, who's back from Kentucky now, the prodigal son has returned, and uh, we have them live at my house, and just how great that was for that year. Something about picture albums that do that, and you go through it, and maybe you see family members uh, who have grown older, or maybe some who've gone on to be with the Lord, or whatever. You look at these albums, and they bring back memories. One of the things that boggles my mind is that this book, the Bible, is not just a book of propositions. It's not just a book that says, page one, God is holy. You know, second proposition, God is loving. Third proposition, God is forgiving. Fourth proposition, 
people are sinful or whatever. It doesn't do that. This book is, you know, uh, there's no pictures in my Bible, but this book is, is, is a portrait. It's, it's a picture album of God. You learn from, from the beginning all the way on, you get pictures of who God is throughout it that impact you more than if you read God is holy. God is loving. God is the God of peace. God is the God who loves to relate. All those things, you, you see that because you read the accounts of how God interacts with, with people. Just think about it. If you see some of the pictures, now, uh, granted, these are just taken off Google Images, by the way, which is a great website. But um, here's some of the pictures that would be in God's scrapbook. First one would be, uh, this was taken from Apollo 8, um, but so God could still have it in his scrapbook. The, it, oh, no, back one. Back one, that's the next picture. Uh, first one is just the world. Genesis 1-1, the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What a great way to start a book. If you start a book, in the beginning, God would be great first four words, I think. In the beginning, God, and he does something, and he speaks, and worlds that weren't are. Now, if you get that, come talk to me afterwards, because I don't get that. That is really cool how God is that majestic. In those first words, in the beginning God created. Wow, to be the, the, the creator of something is to be the one who's bigger than that. So from the first four or five words in the Bible, God is big and he's huge. And there's this picture of him that says God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. Second picture is where he creates, he creates humans. I don't think it happened like Michelangelo says there in the Sistine Chapel, but it's kind of a neat idea is where God touches humanity and gives them, gives them life. You were created by God. Think about that. You were created by God. Third picture. We, we read on and we get to the part where we get to um, Abraham. Abraham, I actually tried to find a good picture of Charlton Heston and there just wasn't any. But um, this is from a guy by the name of Rembrandt or something like that. Um, <clears throat> And we see through Abraham how God decides that he wants to call a nation to himself. And the Bible takes a flavor from that point on, from Genesis chapter 12 where he, where he picks on, picks Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, I think is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. Genesis chapter 15, where Abraham believes God when he looks at all the stars even to the point, he believes God so much, even to the point where this picture shows right here, he's willing to sacrifice Isaac, the promised son, because he thought that God would raise him from the dead. And he, the angel stops him and says, no, don't do it. You see a picture of God there interacting with people, interacting now with his people. It's going to be Israel, and now it's the church. that You, you wouldn't get if you, just said, if you just read a proposition that says God likes to deal with people. Okay, great, next idea. no. There's something here when you see Isaac, and you see Isaac, or excuse me, Abraham is an idiot at times. Man, I, I'm glad for that. I, it just gives me a lot of hope. Because Abraham twice comes into places and says about his wife, she's my sister. So the king takes his wife, Sarah, as his own wife. Hello? That's stupid. I mean, not only once, but twice. I think my wife would kill me if I did that once. 
There's a picture you see about God being tenacious with Abraham. Then you get to, I said Charlton Heston, I was looking at the Moses thing, sorry. He, I don't think Charlton Heston ever did Abraham. He might have, but it was Moses um, when he splits the Red Sea and you see God being the deliverer. That theme goes out throughout Scripture that God is the one who wants to help those who seek him when they're oppressed through anything. Politically, yes. Physically, yes. But even more so spiritually. God is the one who who seeks to, to, to save people in times of oppression. And this is shown up clearly in the next slide in, of God's slideshow. The incarnation, when God became man and came to earth. Think about that. Don't, don't ever just gloss by Christmas. God became flesh to save your neck. He didn't have to do it. And then, of course, the last image is Christ on the cross, dying for you. Now, you can talk about the love and the mercy of God. You can talk about his incredible grace. But until you actually read about it and see in your mind's eye, and I, I encourage of you, those of, those of you who can somehow handle the serious quantity of violence that's in the movie The Passion, to, to go see it again. And to just... Focus on that cross and what Christ did for you. I'm not a person that's into religious symbols a lot. But that baby, I love. This morning we're going to look at a picture. Another snapshot that might be a really hard one for us to understand. It might be a hard one for us to understand God in this. But it's part of the beautiful nature of God. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to open it up to Acts Chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 32 this morning. Before you, while you're flipping there, you can follow along on the insert or the screen, however you want to do it. And I kind of want to give you the context of what's been happening. We've been going through a, uh, this series called the Acts, uh, the Church on Fire. And in Acts chapter 3, Peter's just going about his own business. He's on his way to the temple and, and, and he heals this man who has been unable to walk since birth. He's a crippled man. And Peter heals the guy. And then you find out in verse 11 of that he uses that opportunity of healing as this crowd goes around going, whoa, neat trick. As the crowd comes around, Peter starts to talk about Jesus and say, it's not because I didn't do this. Jesus Christ, the risen one, the one whom just days ago you all crucified, he's the one who did this. You find out that many of them believe in Jesus. We find out in Acts 4.4, many who believed, heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to 5,000. Some of those people watching were religious rulers, religious leaders, and they didn't like Peter and John talking about Jesus. It was taking away their popularity. It's taking away their power with the people. And so they seized Peter and John and they brought them before the, the, um, uh, the Sanhedrin, which is like on trial, and they asked him, by what power or in whose name did you do this? They're just waiting for him to them to say Jesus because they're going to take him out. They're going to kill him if they say that. And I love what Peter replies. He says, we did this in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It gives the whole thing. It's like, in your face, we did this 
through Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then he says, whom you crucified. And then he says, moreover, he was raised from the dead. Moreover than that, you all rejected the true God who is in your midst. And just to, you know, just to put a coffin in my nail, I'm, I'm getting a chance to say something. I'm going to say it one more time. Then I know I'm toast. That he says, you know what? Salvation is found in no one else. You can see Peter saying this and John just kind of cringing, thinking this is it. We're done. But it doesn't happen that way. They look at Peter and John. They're amazed at how courageous they were, or stupid, and probably courageous. It's never stupid to trust God. That was a dumb thing to say. They were courageous. They trusted God. They said what they needed to say, and the Sanhedrin warned them, threatened them, and said, don't do it anymore. And on their way out, they say, you know what? We're going to do it some more. Then they go home, and they pray this dangerous prayer. They pray this prayer in Acts 4, 23 through 31. They pray this dangerous prayer that says, send your spirit to do more miracles like that so we can have more opportunities to talk about you, Jesus. Send your spirit. That's a dangerous prayer. We talked about praying dangerous prayers. Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I want to know you better. Lord, purge me of some of the things in my life that are not pleasing to you. God, humble me. Very dangerous prayer. <laughs> I remember standing right here. Last communion, praying with someone that says, I want to be humbled. I said, you, you really want me to pray that for you? Yes, I do. I said, great. <laughs> now we move on to another passage. Acts, 30, Acts 4, verse 32. Let's start there. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own, but they shared everything they had. That's amazing. They're one in heart and mind. They, even their stuff, they shared all their stuff. We saw that in Acts chapter 2, the end of Acts chapter 2. They were just sharing all their stuff with one another. They hung out all the time in the temple courts. It was one big happy family. And that's what's continuing on here. And the, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, wants to tell you that. It is continuing on. In verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. So it's continuing. You get the implication that it's keep growing. This movement is, is growing and growing and growing. Verse 34, there were no needy persons among them for, for, reason for that was from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. You see what's happening there? It says from time to time as this was happening, which lets you know that some time is passing. I don't know how much time is passing now. We seem to be moving further away from when Jesus was ascended in chapter 1 Time to time, I don't know, a year, two years, I don't know what's going on. It's a period of time that's happening. From time to time, people would sell some of their possessions or a field or a house, would give the money to the church, and it would be dispersed to those people who were in poverty situations. It's amazing. It's amazing. And here's a good example of that. A guy by the name of Joseph. He, they just picked this one guy, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas which means son of encouragement, he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, Barnabas is going to be repeated in the book of Acts. We're going to watch this guy. He's going to be one of the heroes of the book of Acts. In fact, he, his name is repeated 28 times in the Bible. 28 times in the Bible. 
Paul, the name Paul is only, I don't know what it was, a couple hundred. I mean, that's a lot for a guy to have his name in the Bible. More than John the Baptist, more than other people. Barnabas has his name in the Bible 28 times, or excuse me, in Acts 28 times, in the Bible 33 times. You can't buy that. that I mean, that's awesome. I want my name in the Bible. It is in the Bible, but it's not, not, not me. <clears throat> it's a great example. He's one of the guys who did this. He lays the money at their feet. And we're going to watch Barnabas, like I say, unfold and become one of the leaders of the early church. Now we're going to look at a bad example. A bad example of giving and sharing in a way that was not like Barnabas. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias. By the way, I, I did a web search I cannot find a single person whose name is Ananias. I mean, if you're, there, there, was, there was one girl from some country where the text was in different language, but her name was Ananias. So people don't normally name their kids Ananias or Sapphira. It's not a real popular thing. If you want to start a trend here, that's great. But Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. You've got to stop here for just a second, otherwise this is going to make no sense to you. What's going on here? They sold these pieces of property, and they put the money at the apostles' feet. Now, the phrase there, kept back, you know, you're thinking, what's, what's the big deal? I mean, if I sell something, let's say, for instance, you sold some, some stock, and you decided that you were going to give away half of it to the church. Boy, if you called me and said that, my answer to you would be, praise God. That's great. But that's not what the word kept back means here. The word kept back, if you, if you do a search on that, where that same phrase is used, uh, the original language, it's, it's used for the word steal or embezzle. It's, it's a deceptive keeping back. It's something where you say you're doing one thing, but you're actually doing a totally different thing. It's like if you were to say to me, I sold some stock, and I'd, I'd like to, you know, in this case, there even was some public recognition, and we really shy away from that for, for obvious reasons. But there was some public recognition by coming and putting it at their feet, and by doing that, he was saying, I'm giving it all. I've given it all. And it's, the passage even says, his wife had full knowledge of this. Verse 3, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. See, he's saying here, well, this, this land was yours. No one forced you to give it. And when you sold it, you could have given portion of it, no problem. There's no problem there. But you wanted the, you wanted the admiration that we were giving to Barnabas, Joseph, his name was also called Barnabas, you wanted that admiration. You wanted to be a deceiver. You wanted to be have the spiritual recognition, but not earning it. You've not lied to men, but to God. 
It's heavy. How does Ananias respond? Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. He doesn't get the response. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and, and buried him. The phrase there that the king, if you've got a King James Bible there, it says, gave up the ghost. It's more than just died. It's, it's, there was judgment upon him. Ananias dies. Doesn't get to respond to the accusation. It's just, you know, judge, jury, and executioner right there. Ananias dies. That culture in the heat, they would bury the body right away. It buries them, takes them out, carried them out and buried them. Three hours later, what about his wife? His wife comes in, not knowing what happened. Peter asked, me, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she says, that, that's the price. It's the entire price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. It's a snapshot. We're getting a snapshot here. Remember? Creation, Abraham, Moses, Jesus. Ananias and Sapphira is a snapshot in the Bible. Now, I have four huge questions about the, I call them BQs, big questions. I got four BQs that I want to walk you through this morning. And I've, as I've wrestled with this passage, ever since I knew I was going to be doing a series in Acts, I was wrestling with this passage. First question. Why is this passage even here? Why include this passage? Lots of things were happening in the church from time to time. So this period of time goes by, like we talked about before, and they, they don't include a lot of the details, but they include this one. Why? What's this here for? It's very interesting. A lot of people avoid this passage. Charles Spurgeon, who is a famous 19th century preacher, put, compiled together a century's worth of preaching. He called it great preaching of the 20th, no, excuse me, 20 centuries of great preaching. It's 60 volumes. I don't know how many, but 60 volumes. There's not one sermon on this passage. People avoid this passage. Why is it in the Bible? What's the point of this passage? Well, it's repeated twice in the text. The point is this. Great fear seizes the church. It's repeated when Ananias dies, and it's repeated when Sapphira dies. Great fear sees the church. If you're a little uncomfortable right now after I've read this passage, good. Passage is doing what it's supposed to do. I'm a little uncomfortable reading it. Great fear sees the church. Second question. 
well, what was their sin that was so bad that it took them out? I mean, that, that's amazing. They die right there. And it wasn't greed. A lot of people talk about it being a misappropriation of funds. Don't, don't get me wrong. Don't go misappropriate funds. But that's not the thing that took out Ananias and Sapphira. It wasn't even keeping part of it for themselves. It could have done that. Peter says that. It was your land. Hell, it's no big deal. And after you sold it, it was your money. What the sin was, was lying. The sin was lying so that you look better than you really are, especially in a spiritual fashion. Now, I, I can't imagine why anyone would, would ever lie to make themselves look worse. Lying always is about making yourself look better. Mark Johnson at the retreat called it posing, or posers, which I thought he said hosers, being from up north. Um, he said the first sin that was ever dealt with in the book of Acts was the sin of posing. It was a sin of, of being something that you're not, and it's dealt with very severely. Posing. Proverbs 6, verses 16 and 19 in the Old Testament, it says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Now listen to this. Haughty eyes, wanting to be something you're not. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Right there are things that God hates. A lying tongue, potty eyes, a false witness who pours out lies. There's something about the sin of, of lying or deceit that God has very, very little patience with. Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators, I heard him on a, on a sermon tape. He's, he was, he was uh, dead by the time I had become a, a follower of Christ. He said, a liar is a coward. I, I still can hear his voice in my head because he screamed it on the tape. A liar is a coward because he can't face the truth. You get so caught up in yourselves that you cannot possibly think of yourself in the way that's reality. You have to lie about it. And my family and my boys know that uh, there's one thing that's really dealt with severely and that's lying. Because if I raise children and we have a family that's based on deceit, I never know what to believe. I can never believe you. So we de we, uh, that one has is, is got a whole different realm. I want my boys to be a lot of different things, but liars, I do not want them to be. Ajith Fernando, who's the national director in Sri Lanka and a great Bible teacher. If you ever get a chance to hear Ajith Fernando, he often speaks at Urbana's and different things. When he's in Sri Lanka, and in Sri Lanka there's not a lot of Christians. They don't have a lot of things, uh, they don't have a lot of uh, people who are part of the Christian movement. So he's getting people from all kinds of different walks of life, and they become volunteers, they become followers of Jesus, and they become members or, or, or volunteers in his organization, and they go and they make a lot of stupid mistakes, and it kind of blemishes the name of Youth for Christ, who he's the national director of in Sri Lanka. Listen to this quote by Ajith. He says, in YFC, Youth for Christ, we do not expect the volunteers not to make mistakes. That's a double negative. In other words, we expect them to make mistakes. 
We are willing to pay the price of those mistakes. Even though they may give us a bad name, we do not regard them as serious. But there is one thing we regard as deadly serious. Lying. When people are not truthful with themselves, there is a hindrance so that, so that God cannot work with them to help them. They are on a dangerous path. Something about this particular sin that is the first one that's dealt with in the church. Up until then, everybody seems to be getting along and things are going very well. And there's something happens here when Ananias and Sapphira lie. And it's they were generously lying. They gave a bunch of money. But they lie about it. Now the question that's going to be going through your mind is, were they really Christians? And there's a whole bunch of debate on this. Were Ananias and Sapphira really Christians? I don't know. I really don't know. I, if I want to be faithful just to the book of Acts, it, it really seems like they were. Because it doesn't, it doesn't make any statement about there was somebody trying to infiltrate our ranks and they tried to buy their way into leaders. It doesn't say that. It just says, now there were these other two people. However, they could have so deceived themselves and lying about who they were that maybe the whole thing was a game to them. I don't know. I don't know. Third big question. I thought the New Testament and the church was a place of grace. What is up with Peter? I, not Peter back there, Peter the Apostle Peter. I mean, first thing, when Sapphira comes in, he doesn't even say, oh, Sapphira, your husband just became worm food. He doesn't do anything. First thing he asks her is, by the way, that money you gave, was that the full amount? That's just not Grace 101, you know? That's just not the nicest thing to say to someone whose husband has just died. He's there to see if, if she's going to be truthful right on the bat. Wait a minute. What is up with that? I thought the Bible was, and the church, the New Testament, was a place filled with grace. We, we cover over our mistakes. Come on. What is this about? I, I, I thought it was okay to sin in the New Testament. You hear that? God is making it clear here. Just like he did when, the, when Israel was established and they were going into the promised land, there was a man by the name of Achan. They were told to not, in, 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 in uh, Joshua chapter 7, they were told to not take anything of the people that they had, had uh, defeated. They were not to plunder any of their goods because that stuff was from, 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 of evil making and they were not to have any of it. And, and Achan decides to steal some of it. He says, I want it. I covet it in my heart and I took it. Achan and his family are stoned to death. It's severe. What happened? Great fear went throughout the whole, the whole tribe or the whole nation of Israel. On the establishment of the church, there's another Achan. His name is Ananias and Sapphira in this case. Sin is dealt with very severely to make it very clear. No, it's not okay. It's not okay. Fourth big question. Does God judge like that today? Does God judge like that today? Of course he does. Of course he judges like that today. There's a misnomer, I think, in, in, in our understanding that we just, we're so lackadaisical with sin that we just think, oh, it's no big deal, you know. 
la-di-da-di-da. No, it's a big deal. Sin is a huge deal. You are diminishing the cross every time you say sin was not a big deal. Sin is a huge deal. We just think, oh, you know what, Jesus, it's okay, no big deal. One more sin for Jesus, it doesn't really matter. No, it's a big deal. It diminishes, it diminishes who God is. It gives the church, it gives yourself a bad reputation. It puts you in, in line for something like this. I've heard people who are in, in, in going through a struggle in their life and they're angry with God and they're kind of shaking their fist at God and they say, God, I have had it. I don't deserve this. I want you to give me what I deserve. Ooh, baby. Want to talk about dangerous prayers? Holy smokes. If every one of us got what we deserve right now, we'd have to have a morgue in the basement. Every one of us are Ananias and Sapphira. Every one of us. Does God judge like that today? You better, better believe it. He's a holy God and he's completely just. If he doesn't punish sin, then he's no longer just. Now, does he take us out on an immediate basis when we sin? Not usually. Not usually. Praise God. But, but, but that's what we deserve. If you don't feel the sense of urgency and the fear every time you're involved in displeasing God by walking into sinful ways, whatever they may be, if you don't have that sense of, oh my gosh, right now I could be taken out, you don't understand the cross. You'll never, you'll never embrace that thing until you understand, oh, I'm in deep doo-doo here. I'm going to close this morning with a prayer that is actually taken from um, Philip Hughes. And I kind of changed it a little bit. I'm going to put it up on the PowerPoint here. And um, I'm going to read it through first, and then I'm going to pray it and just let you silently respond to it anyway where you're at. Wherever the Lord, whatever He has done in your life this morning. This is a heavy passage. It gives a view of God that it, with all the other views being true, Shows that God is just. He doesn't cease to be just because the cross, and he doesn't cease to be just because every time we sin, he doesn't punish us. He doesn't cease to be just because if we do lie, we live at times. Let me just read this through sentence by sentence and just let it sink and let the Holy Spirit speak to you even as I'm speaking this. And then I'm going to pray it through and we're going to give you an opportunity just silently where you're at to go through this. After that, we're going to sing a couple songs. The people that are prayer team this week, if you could just come down front and sit during those songs. I don't know who you are. They have a red badge. And then they'll be here afterwards too if you'd like to, to pray with someone. Prayer goes like this. says, Lord, show me any habits of deception in my life. I now renounce all lies I am using to make others think I am more spiritual than I really am. Cleanse me of all dishonesty and make me walk in the light as you are in the light. Lord, make me see sin the way you see sin as a horror, as an abomination. Let me fear it. Show me any area where I am allowing sin to take control in my life. I now repent and turn to you to forgive me and to cleanse me and set me on the right path. 
right now I cling to the cross of Jesus for my forgiveness and as my only hope. Let's pray together. And like I say, I'm going to give you a little bit of pause in there just for a chance for you to respond to the Lord on your own. Lord, this is, this is this tough passage. And I just confess, even in my own heart, and this week as I've pondered it, that great fear has come across me. Just as I think of my own life, and at times I get lackadaisical about sin. I don't want to sin. There's no joy in sin. Sin is stupid. There's no fulfillment for me and no pleasure for you. So right now, Lord, as a, as a body this morning, we want to walk through this. We want your Holy Spirit to speak to us to take this stuff away and to cause us to turn from it, whether now for the first time in our lives or for the hundredth time, to turn from it and to seek you for cleansing and for comfort and for forgiveness. So Lord, right now, by your Spirit, open our minds and show us any habits or any ways that we have been deceptive. Lord, right now, just by your grace, we want to renounce those things. Lord, you just you set our mind on, on fire here to tell us those things that we need to do to make things right. If there's someone we need to talk to, if there's something we need to make right, Lord, you just bring those things to our mind even now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd come and do that. Right now we will turn and we will renounce those things. Jesus, we are desperate for your cleansing. Lord, we are Ananias and Sapphira. <coughs> Everyone in this room, myself included, have done things worthy of being taken out immediately. Lord, we beg for mercy. What is the, your holiness demands that we beg for grace. So right now we ask for that. We ask that you'd cleanse us of all this dishonesty. And you'd make us walk in the light as you are in the light. God, we pray that you would allow us to see sin the way you see sin never flippantly. God, would you cause great fear even to seize us as we look at this passage? Would your passage do the same work in us that it did in the early church? That was the result, is that great fear happened. And, and that's what we want to have, that healthy fear of you that causes us and drives us to live the way you have given to us for our best. God, would you open up any area? Maybe it's not deception. Maybe there's something else going on. Would you open up any area where, where in our minds that we're allowing to control us that's not from you? Would you just right now do that? Right now, Lord, even as you're bringing those things to our mind, we feel very weak on them. But at the same time, right now as a church, we want to turn from them. We want to repent of them. And Jesus, hang on to you.
Lord, right now we are all in this room poster children for grace. We're people who, who need you incredibly. <coughs> it's so easy to point our finger in Ananias and Sapphira and say, well, I've never done that specific thing. But every one of us has been deceptive. Every one of us has, has cheated in maybe small ways or big ways. Every one of us has done all kinds of things. And right now we just cling to the cross and say that that's not just a nice idea, but that's our only hope. Right now, Jesus, would you just fill us with that hope that we know that, we're, that if we come to you in turn, that we can be forgiven. That you are just and faithful and that you will forgive. Just pray all this, Jesus, in your name.